Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by co-founding pastor John Ferguson as we continue the series, This is the Way. If you're new, we'd love to learn your name. Simply text CONNECT to 630-793-6399 and we'll send you more information about community. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Hello, everybody. It's great to be with you. Thanks for joining us. And I tell you what, if you have access to a chat, Go ahead and put in there where you're watching us from. It's always fun to see the different places, the communities, the cities, states, and even countries. As we now know, we're reaching people all over the world. So go ahead and type that in the chat so we can enjoy seeing where we're uh, together from all over the world. You know, Americans have more choices, options, and alternatives than any culture in all of human history. Now, that might seem like a good thing, and it can be a good thing, but can also present a whole unique set of challenges. All of these choices have actually led to a new phenomenon called overchoice. <laughs> overchoice. It's an actual phenomenon, overchoice. And overchoice basically means that we're paralyzed with too many options, too many choices, and not enough time to figure out what we really want. I mean, just think about uh, walking into a Starbucks, something most of us have probably experienced on multiple occasions. The menu board doesn't hold nearly all the options Starbucks offers you. I mean, do I want a grande salted caramel no whip mocha frappuccino? Or maybe I want, no, I want a venti ice double shot dirty chai latte. I don't even know what those drinks are, truthfully. <laughs> I can barely say them. How about just maybe a cup of coffee? You know, my friends at Google tell me that Starbucks now offers us 87,000 different drink options. 87,000. No wonder we're suffering from overchoice. Now, I know these examples are a little bit trivial, right? But it seems like we are constantly pulled in multiple directions, doesn't it? And I think that's true even when it comes to some of the most important things in life. I recently came across this quote by Ronald Rollheiser, and he describes this tension quite well. Soak this in. We want to be a saint, but we also want to feel every sensation experienced by sinners. We want to be innocent and pure, but we also want to be experienced and taste all of life. We want to serve the poor and have a simple lifestyle, but we also want all the comforts of the rich. We want to have the depth afforded by solitude, but we also do not want to miss anything. We want to pray, but we also want to watch television, read, talk to friends, and go out. It's a small wonder that life is so often a trying enterprise and that we are often tired and pathologically overextended. What a mouthful. Do you feel that? Do you feel that pull in multiple directions? And if you're like me, you're probably pulled in more than one direction, even when it comes to today's topic, when we talk about money, wealth, and possessions. For example, I mean, as a follower of Jesus, I wanna hold on loosely to what I have. I wanna be generous. But you know what? As a human being, I want a new pair of shoes. As a follower of Jesus, I, I also wanna be content with a, you know, an iPhone 6. But as a human being, I want the iPhone 12 Pro Max. 
And so I feel like I'm constantly being pulled in two directions when it comes to wealth and possessions. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't feel that tension, then you are way further along the path spiritually than I am, or you're just not daring to think about it. And so today, I think more than anything else, I just want you to step into that tension. I want you to live into that and feel that pull that exists when it comes to money and possessions because Jesus' take that we're gonna look at on money and wealth is very different than our culture's take. And if we're gonna follow Jesus, it's gonna lead us down a very different countercultural path. As Scott McKnight puts it, if the kingdom vision of Jesus doesn't reshape our approach to possessions, then we are not living out the kingdom vision. Think about that. If the kingdom vision of Jesus doesn't reshape our approach to possessions, then we are not living out the kingdom vision. In other words, if you can't tell a difference between someone who follows Jesus versus someone who says they don't necessarily follow Jesus in terms of how they handle possessions, then chances are you're not living out the kingdom vision. So today we're in week five of this six-week series titled, This is the Way. And the first followers of Jesus, I mean, they lived their lives in such a way, it was an upside-down, countercultural way that, that everyone around them noticed. And as that group of Christ followers continued to grow and have more and more influence, people noticed, and they wanted to figure out a way to refer to those people. And so they started calling them followers of the way, followers of the way. And as Jesus' apprentices, followers of the way were committed to following his teachings. And that meant leaving their former way of life and reorienting their entire lives around Jesus' teaching. Now, in this series, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of Jesus' most challenging teachings. And now we're gonna look at what he says about money, wealth, and possessions. And he talks about it in a very countercultural kingdom of God way. It's how we're to live in the kingdom of God. And he does so by addressing a problem that leads to a challenge before he gives us the solution. First, a problem that leads to a challenge, and then we'll discover the solution. Now, we're gonna look at Matthew chapter six, verses 19 to 33. And I would encourage you, if you have a hard copy Bible, you might wanna grab it, or you can look up the scripture on your smartphone. Maybe you use the YouVersion app. Whatever is easiest for you, and we'll have it on the screen too. But we're gonna go verse by verse from Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 33. And we're gonna start with a problem. And Jesus addresses the problem of wealth and possessions with three metaphors. And this first metaphor speaks to the type of treasures we store up, the type of treasures we store up. And Jesus says this in verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I want to focus in on that word treasure because the word treasure in the original language of the New Testament isn't just referring to possessions. It's actually talking about the accumulation of things in such a way to experience joy. The accumulation of things in such a way to experience joy. What Jesus is talking about here, I think, is this desire we have to acquire. The desire to acquire. Uh, Have you ever bought something Uh, just because you could and it was fun? Or maybe I should ask, how often do you buy something just because you can and because it's fun? I would say right now, as we continue through this pandemic and so many of us are, you know, at home all the time in front of our laptops, our computers, I think we're faced with this temptation more than ever before. We're just one click away, right? From buying just about anything we want and having it show up at our doorstep in a matter of hours, maybe days at the most. Well, a while back, 
someone gifted uh, my wife Lisa and me with a subscription, a one-year subscription to Mouth. And so every month we get this box full of gourmet type snacks that's curated from all over the country. Interestingly enough, as I was wrapping up my preparation for this talk last night, the box arrived. I heard the doorbell ring and our latest box arrived from Mouth. They provide these curated snacks from all over the country. It's incredible food, great snacks, so much fun, all sorts of anticipation when it arrives. Now, a few months back, in the box was a small container of salted caramels that were just out of this world. I mean, to die for, best tasting caramels on the planet. So what do we do? We eat them really quick. And when the can is empty, I start Googling, all right, where I can find these caramels, which is the whole idea behind box anyways. They'll hope that you buy more. And so I'm Googling it and I find that it's like 20 or $25 for this small container of caramels. So what do I do? I click buy now as fast as I could because I had a desire to acquire. You see, Jesus says there are two kinds of treasure. There's earthly treasure and heavenly treasure. Now, those caramels may taste heavenly, but I'll tell you what, that is an earthly treasure. It will not last. They will not bring joy that lasts. And earthly treasure is all the stuff we acquire. New shoes, a bigger house, a nicer car, maybe books, whatever it is that you like to acquire. Again, nothing wrong with these things, but we know they are temporary. And the satisfaction that we receive from them is fleeting. And so Jesus challenges us to value what is eternal over what is temporary. Again, doesn't mean we don't enjoy this temporary stuff. He's just saying, don't treasure it. Don't think that it will bring you lasting joy. And when he calls us to put our treasures in heaven, he's not saying, you know, just forget about this life and only think about the next life. That's not what he's saying. No, when Jesus says store up treasures in heaven, he is saying, put your treasures, what you value And whatever will make a difference in the here and now and for eternity, what will have an impact in the present and in the future. Theologian N.T. Wright puts it this way. Of course, Jesus, like almost all Jews of his day, believed that after death, God would have a wonderful future in store for his faithful people. But they didn't normally refer to that future as heaven. He wanted his followers to establish heavenly treasure right now treasure which they could enjoy in the present as well as the future, treasure that wasn't subject to the problems that face all earthly hordes. You know, just last week, I was in a meeting with uh, some leadership from Compassion International. Uh, Last uh, week, we heard from Jim Miato, the president of Compassion, and they were thanking community for our generosity. We now sponsor over 1,700 children all over the world, kids who have food, clothing, shelter, and a good education right now, as well as the chance to find their way back to God in a faith community, in a local church, where they could eventually get to know Jesus and spend eternity in heaven with him. How ultimately satisfying is that? See, that brings lasting joy. And I believe that's what it looks like to store up treasures in heaven now. That's the first metaphor. The second metaphor that Jesus uses to address the problem of wealth is our eyesight. Verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, at first glance, this metaphor might be a little bit confusing because he's talking about eyesight, light, and darkness. I thought we were talking about money, wealth, and possessions. 
Well, stay with me because I learned some interesting things over the past couple of weeks that I want to share with you. First of all, the words for healthy and unhealthy in the original language of the New Testament are words that were often used for generous and stingy, all right? Unhealthy and healthy, stingy and generous. And so if we put those meanings in the text, what we hear Jesus saying is if your eyes are generous, then your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are stingy, then your whole body will be full of darkness. Now that's helpful, but let's understand something else about the context into which Jesus was teaching. See, today we know that our eyes allow light to pass into our body and that's what allows us to see. That's what gives us sight. Back in Jesus' day, they thought light passed out of your eyes and that was how you could see. And so Jesus uses that understanding to help them realize that how they handle wealth and possessions is a reflection of what's going on inside. And if we're filled with light, the light of Jesus and his kingdom and his teachings, then what's gonna flow out of us is generosity. If we're filled with darkness, then what's gonna flow out of us is stinginess. So in this second metaphor, Jesus is saying that the real problem of wealth and possessions, it's not a matter of how much you have or how little you have. It's really about what's going on in here. The way we handle our money and possessions is a direct reflection of what's going on in our heart. And once again, Jesus wants our heart, not just our behaviors. Jesus wants our heart, not just our behaviors. All right, the third metaphor. The third metaphor Jesus uses to address the problem of wealth is pretty straightforward. And Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now this here, this is kind of the mic drop moment of this entire section. And it doesn't really take a theologian to explain it. The metaphor is pretty clear. Two masters, God and money. And Jesus is saying, you can't serve both. You simply can't. You're gonna serve one or the other. You can't serve both God and money. And so all three metaphors point to this problem we have with wealth and our stuff and how too often we chase after the wrong kind of treasure. We let selfishness rule our hearts and we crown money as our king. And in essence, I think Jesus is saying here, if we're gonna follow him and the ways of his kingdom, you have to address the problem of wealth and possessions. And remember, if the kingdom vision of Jesus, you see, doesn't reshape our approach to possessions, then we're not living out the kingdom vision. But you see, wealth and possessions aren't just a problem. They actually can lead to a significant challenge. It's not just a problem, but it actually can lead to a significant challenge. And see, Jesus speaks to that challenge in these words. Follow along in verses 25 to 32. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I love that question. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Have you ever added an hour to your life by worrying? Of course you haven't. As a matter of fact, doctors and psychologists will tell you that worry and stress actually takes hours off of your life. And then he continues, why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And I can imagine while Jesus is teaching, there are probably flowers nearby and he points to them. Look at the flowers of the field. Maybe birds were flying in the air. Look at the birds of the air. Look at how I take care of them. Surely I'll take care of you. And then he wraps up by saying, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, people who don't follow me, run after these things and your heavenly father knows you need them. You see, the problem is that money, possessions, and wealth compete for our allegiance. And we tend to put our faith in them rather than our king. And because of that, we face a significant challenge. What is that challenge? It's worry. Worry. We worry about whether or not we'll have enough. We worry about whether we'll run out. We worry about whether or not we have the right kind. And I know Jesus saying, do not worry might not seem like it helps that much. In some ways, it's sort of like someone saying, you know, just don't think about it. Ever having someone say that to you when you're stressed about something? Just don't think about it. But see, that's not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is that we have reason not to worry. We have reason not to dwell on it. And he says, look at how I take care of the birds of the air. Aren't you more valuable than they? Look at how I clothe the flowers of the field. How much more will I take care of you? And then he says, oh, you of little faith. Now, for the longest time when I would hear that, I would kind of feel like maybe Jesus was scolding me, like, come on, John, get your act together. How could you have such little faith? But I don't think that's his tone here. I hear him saying, man, John, look around. I provide food for the birds of the air that fly. I provide clothing for the flowers of the field. How could you have such little faith to think that I wouldn't provide for you when I provide for them? And you're one of my children. You're my child. I cannot imagine a more relevant topic for us today than this. I mean, here we are, we're in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. Some of us have lost loved ones. Uh, Many of us, if not all of us, certainly fear getting sick. Uh, Many are having financial challenges, loss of job, stress from changing careers. If there's a word I think that describes the last six to eight months, it has to be the word uncertain. Uncertain. And uncertainty certainly leads to what? Worry. Worry. And then Jesus reminds us, look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. Look at I provide for them and take care of them. How could you think I won't take care of you? You're one of my children. And I got to tell you, personally, these last six to eight months, I've worried and I've stressed, I think, more than any other time in my life. And I've worried about finances, the economy. I've worried about job. I've worried about my family. I've worried about health. And I bet many of you have experienced the same kind of worry and stress. And I think this might be the very reason you are listening to this and watching this today is to hear Jesus say to you, look at the flowers of the field. Look at the birds of the air. If I provide for them, I will certainly take care of you, my child. It might not be the way you want him to take care of you, but he promises to take care of you. Corrie Ten Boom lived during one of the most uncertain times in modern history. She lived in Holland when the Nazis were invading her country and she was hiding Jewish people to save them from the Nazis. She wrote this about worry. She said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. 
How true is that? Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It actually empties today of its strength. But you know, Jesus doesn't just leave us on our own to figure out how to navigate the problem and challenge of wealth and possessions. He actually offers us a solution when he says this. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. See, that right there, that's the solution. To seek first his kingdom. And Jesus is saying, don't chase after all that stuff that won't last. Don't be preoccupied with worry over possessions. Instead, day in and day out and how you buy and how you sell and how you give and how you take, keep me the center of it all. See, the problem and challenge so many of us have when it comes to wealth and possessions is that we take our eyes off of Jesus and his kingdom. In fact, I think it's inevitable. If you center your life and your identity on money and possessions, you will be eaten up by worry. As a matter of fact, some of you will do unethical things in order to maintain your lifestyle and it will ruin your life. I've seen really, really good people do the strangest unethical things I would have never expected to do in order to maintain their lifestyle because they were so worried and so stressed about this topic of wealth and possessions. And see, Jesus wants us to have a better way. His solution is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and let him take care of all that stuff that you worry about. You see, the bottom line is this. If we're gonna follow Jesus and be a part of his countercultural kingdom, we have to let him reshape our approach to wealth and possessions. So how do we do that? How do we seek first his kingdom? Well, I wanna give you three suggestions to wrap this up, three ways we can respond to Jesus' teaching here in Matthew chapter six. And I would encourage you to write these down. If you have a notepad nearby, write them down. Somebody in the chat room, please type these in. These are the takeaways, all right? First, we have to see. First, we have to see. And when I'm talking about seeing here, I'm talking about recognizing the tension. See what's going on inside yourself. Don't be in denial about it. I talked about that earlier, that if you don't feel that tension, then you're either way further along the path spiritually than I am, or you're just not thinking about it. I want us to think about it. I want us to live in that tension and recognize that Jesus calls us to a very counter-cultural way when it comes to wealth and possessions. We've got to see it. That's the first step. Secondly then, simplify. Simplify. In order to seek first his kingdom, we need to take steps to free ourselves from the pull of wealth and possessions. And this could be something as simple as I don't know, purge a closet. How about it? You have stuff, you know you do, in your closet right now. You think you're gonna wear it. You tell yourself you're gonna wear it. You haven't worn it for like two or three years. Get rid of it. Get rid of those shoes. Get rid of those pants. Get rid of that dress. Whatever it might be, purge that closet. Yes, it might be time to get rid of that members only jacket. Not the one you bought last year, the one you bought 20 years ago. Purge a closet, try that. Or maybe do this. How about a month long shopping fast? 30 days where you don't buy anything except what is absolutely essential. And no, salted caramels are not essential. Try that for 30 days, buy only what is essential. Or it could be something significant like maybe downsizing your home or selling a car or something of significant value. What is one practical step that could free you up from wealth and possessions? So first we see, then we simplify, And then the last word is sacrifice, sacrifice. Nothing helps you put Jesus and his kingdom first, like being generous in such a way that you feel it. That's what it means to sacrifice. 
We followed the example of Jesus who made the ultimate sacrifice. Let me just ask you, when was the last time you gave in such a way that you felt it? When was the last time you were generous to the point that you had to make an adjustment in your lifestyle in order to be that generous? See, that is seeking the kingdom first. And so maybe for you, it's time to take a step forward in your generosity to the Jesus mission. Maybe it's time to sacrifice an earthly treasure for a heavenly one. Over the next several weeks, we're gonna have a lot of great ways that we can be generous. We're gonna be giving away meals to folks that might not be able to afford a Thanksgiving dinner. We have our upcoming gift mart where we provide toys and gifts for children that might not ordinarily have a Christmas. And then at the end of the year, we'll have our end of year giving. All great opportunities for you to be generous, for you to be countercultural, to follow Jesus' kingdom way of living. But let me challenge you to stretch yourself and give in such a way that you actually have to make an adjustment in your lifestyle. Sacrifice. And let's remember one last time, all right? If the kingdom vision of Jesus doesn't reshape our approach to possessions, then we are not living out the kingdom vision. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we wanna live out that kingdom vision. And God, we know that, that with you and with, with, with Jesus, Lord, that it's, it's, it's not about our behaviors. It really is about our heart. And so God, help us to give you our hearts, even in this season of complete uncertainty, where we do tend to worry over finances and we worry over possessions and we worry about the future. God, help us to give that to you and recognize that you provide for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, and yet we are your children. How much more will you provide for us? God, help us to grow in our trust in you. Help us to live in this tension. Lord, help us to look for ways we can simplify. And God, help us to step out and sacrifice for you and your kingdom. Give in such a way that it demands an adjustment in our lifestyle. Lord, we wanna be a generous community of people. Help us to be generous. We pray this in your name, amen. Amen.